from NJ.com. This is Talk is Cheap, a New York Giants podcast. We're talking big blue football all year round. Welcome on in, Giants fans, to episode 154 of the Talk is Cheap podcast right here on NJ.com. As always, I'm Matt Lombardo, and I'm joined by my friend and colleague, Ryan Dunleavy. And a lot to get to this week, Ryan, as OTAs are in full swing. We're a week away from the three-day mandatory minicamp. And, you know, it's getting to the point with the weather getting warmer. It's summer is around the corner. And it's starting to feel like football season is closer and closer and closer on the horizon. And and it's certainly been an interesting couple of months for the Giants, and it's only going to get more interesting from here. Yeah, uh, the Giants are practicing 11 on 11. Uh, it it just feels later, Matt. I don't. Know, I guess because they had that three, uh, they had that first year coaches camp before the draft last year. I just felt like we spent so much more time around the players. We saw so much more football last year before this point. I I feel like you and I have seen two practices. Uh, so far, we'll see three more next week, one more uh, the week after that, and then it's a uh, break before training camp and the season's here. I, I, I don't know that uh, I don't know that I have as good a feel for this team right now as I did for last year's team, which I think is interesting. Yeah, and I think it's also a younger team, which doesn't help in terms of that familiarity. I think that there are a lot of changes on both sides of the ball with the skill positions, and we're going to dive into all of that, and especially at the quarterback position with Eli Manning and Daniel Jones. But before we get to all of that, some housekeeping items to go through here. We'd really love, if you'd like what you hear on the show, if you'd subscribe and leave us a five-star review. Let us know what you'd like to hear, what kind of guests you'd like us to get on throughout the course of the season, and it really helps grow the show, and you can subscribe on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Spreaker. You can check us out on Stitcher, Google Play, iHeartRadio. Listen to us on YouTube and toss us a like over there. Uh, Ryan, you look at these OTAs, and I think that it's becoming glaringly obvious if you look at the offense and the defense. And, and this might be what's most surprising to me, given all of the wholesale changes, especially on the back end with new cornerbacks in terms of uh, you bring in a first-round draft pick in DeAndre Bay. You draft Julian Love in the fourth round. You take Corey Ballantyne in the sixth round. He's finally back on the field. You trade for Jabril Peppers, and you bring in Antoine Bethea. Ryan, it really seems like even though all of these changes have been made, the defense and the secondary in particular seems to have a leg up on the offense right now after at least the two practices we've seen. Uh, yeah, I would totally agree with that. And correct me if I'm wrong, Matt. I I, I feel like OTAs, minicamp, all this uh, football in shorts with no pads is designed for the offense. Like that's what it's supposed to be. It's supposed to be two hand touch football with your friends in the backyard, schematics, playbooks, team building, chemistry. It's not real football. It's not hitting. You can't judge linemen. So I feel like this is, there's no pressure on the quarterbacks. I feel like this is designed all, not just in the Giants throughout the NFL. May and June football is designed for the offenses to win, uh, to look better than the defenses, which is why I'm surprised the defense for the Giants has looked better than the offense. Yeah, and the offense just hasn't looked great. And let's preface, preface everything we're saying right now with the fact that we're recording this and it's May 29th, so there's a long time to go between training camp and especially the regular season. We've seen only two practices. So yes, th this analysis might come off as reactionary and an overreaction, but it's what we have in front of us, right? So we can only talk about and discuss and break 
break down what we see. But, Ryan, I look at the offense right now, and especially the quarterback position, and I, I don't see a discernible difference between Eli Manning and Daniel Jones. I've talked about this on the stand-up videos we do outside the facility. I've tweeted about this. I think we've both written about it. There are times when if you're looking down to jot something down on your notepad or send out a tweet and you see a pass that gets intercepted or batted down or even a really nice throw deep downfield, it's really difficult to judge the difference between Daniel Jones and Eli Manning, at least in my opinion. And if that's the case, I really wonder what the upside is if we continue down this track to playing Eli Manning over Daniel Jones. Okay, I'm going to say it again. I know you're going to pull your hair out. Uh, I, I'm, I, I know. I know, your, I know your reaction to this. Who was the best quarterback in Giants uh, camp at this time last year? Uh, he is the number two or three quarterback currently on the Jets roster, uh, your boy Davis Webb. Yes. So that's what I'll take away. Like there was no discernible difference. And if there was, it was an edge to Webb in last year. And the Giants still started Eli Manning for 16 games and cut Davis Webb. So uh, you're right. I am pulling my hair out over here. You're right. <laughs> but, but, but that's my but my point. That's my point is like we're, we're, we've established this. Eli Manning is not at this point in his career a good practice quarterback. He's just not. He, he does not improve. I wasn't around in 07, 08, 09 when he was, in, you know, in his peak 11. Uh, I don't know what he looked like in practice. Uh, I've heard the funny stories about his rookie year of practice. Um, but yes, there is no discernible difference between Jones and Manning in practice, but I didn't think there was one between Webb and Manning, so they cut Webb and they kept Manning. So and, and I, I think the I biggest difference, Shermer's right. practice depth chart is kind of all over the place. Is my point. And, and I think the biggest difference between these two situations is Davis Webb was taken in the third round. Daniel Jones was picked number six overall. So I think that if and when we get to August and we're still going down this path of both quarterbacks looking very similar, having the same issues and, and the same bright spots, I just don't know why you don't play Jones or what the upside is to him sitting down and learning behind Manning at this point. And, and I get it that they want him to learn through osmosis. They want him to follow Manning around the building, sit next to him in meetings, copy his notebooks like you and I used to copy math tests on the Scantron sheets back in high school. All People of those copied things. from me. I didn't copy. People copied. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Look at that not-so-humble brag there no, for uh, no, no high school right Dunleavy. Yeah, there's a reason I had high honors, yeah. So. Wow, look, look at you. All right, all, all I'll say is I was uh, pulled aside to be put in the gifted program on my sixth day in first grade. So yeah, we both, oh, wow. We were both put on uh, similar paths when we were younger. There we go. All right. So you're talking to two smart guys. Too bad most people think we don't know anything about our, you know, football, but <laughs> – uh, talking to two smart guys. What would you have done if you weren't a sports reporter? If I wasn't a sports reporter, who knows? I'd probably uh, be working for my dad selling insurance somewhere. That's probably yeah. what I would be doing. Uh, how about you? I came very close to going to law school. Very close. I got, I got into Seton Hall and Rutgers and couldn't pull the trigger. So. Gotcha. Gotcha. That's a heavy investment of time and resources there to go to law school. But instead, we're sitting around watching football and dissecting what we see in, in shorts and shells every day in, in spring. Yeah, you know what's funny? I always say, lawyer. Whenever I, 
I've talked to a lot of lawyers as a sports writer, a lot of criminal investigations and whatnot. And lawyers always want to be sports writers, and sports writers kind of envy the lawyer paycheck every two weeks. So I, I, I don't disagree with that part yeah. of it. But but just to get this thing back on the rails a little bit here, Ryan, in terms of not just the quarterbacks, but the offense in general, you know, I, I – Listen to the podcast that Mike Kay and Zach Rosenblatt do every week, and they do a nice job covering the Eagles for us at NJ.com. I've checked out some videos from Jets OTAs. You know, we both watch NFL Network all the time, so you see some of the things that are happening around the league. And in terms of the Giants' offense right now, and I'm not saying that this can't change as we get close to the season, and this might just be what they were working on over the last couple of practices, but... I'm kind of alarmed by the amount of dump-offs and bubble screens and the lack of big plays and X plays and pushing the ball deep down the field that I've seen in these practices. It seems like every throw is a check down to Saquon Barkley or John Hilleman or Wayne Gallman or a bubble screen to Golden Tate or Sterling Shepard. Nobody's really asserted themselves as a deep threat down the field. They haven't tried to push the ball deep outside of that first series of the first OTA practice that we saw when Manning was uh, one for six with two interceptions. Um, it just doesn't seem like that threat of pushing the ball down the field is present at this point. Have you seen that so far? No, and I think that's what angered Odell Beckham so much last year and what got the Giants into a one in seven hole last year is uh, a conservative offense, whether that was Manning do, doing it you know, by his own volition or what was being called before the snap, whatever it was, I think probably a little truth to both. Um, That's kind of what got the Giants in a one and seven hole. Maybe that's just, look, maybe that's just starting from scratch. That's just where you start over a new season, a new playbook. You start with the short and intermediate stuff and you get to the long stuff, but they better not still be doing that in July because they like to tell you about how the offense got so much better as the season went on. Well, the offense took a few more risks as the season went on. They shouldn't forget that. I got a question for you, though. Sure. You, you, and I'd love to ask Matt Stipulkowski or however you pronounce that. And Darryl I think Slay. that was spot on there. Uh, Stipulkowski. Nice. I can never spell it, but I can certainly yeah. say it. Yeah. Our Daryl Slater, our Jets guys about Sam Darnold, but they're not on this call. You are. You saw Sam, you saw Carson Wentz, his rookie year in training camp and yep. OTAs and whatnot. I'm not saying two practices in because I don't expect you to be that specific and remember, but what did you see? Or maybe you didn't see anything. Maybe, it, maybe it was like Eli Manning's rookie year where he struggled in practice. I mean, what did you see or at what point did you realize? All right. Wentz has it. Wentz has. This is why he's the number two pick. This is why he's going to start as a rookie. This is at what point did, did you see that in OTAs? Did you not see that till training camp, early, late training camp, sometime after the game started? Well, at what point did you become convinced Carson Wentz was worth the uh, worth the prize? Well, I, I can I can pinpoint it for you because I took a lot of flack for this locally, uh, both on radio and from one of the bigger radio personalities in Philadelphia. I actually called me out on Twitter for saying this, but I distinctly remember it was either the end of the mandatory minicamp in June 
or the first or second week of training camp. And they, they, you have to remember, the Eagles had Sam Bradford back on a one-year contract. They took Carson Wentz number two overall, and the thought was that Bradford would start the season. Same sort of conversa- conversation the Giants have had with Eli Manning starting the season and eventually giving it to Daniel Jones. And, and I remember tweeting out and, and writing on NJ.com that Carson Wentz looks to have a firmer grasp of the offense and seems to be ahead of Bradford. And it was either... The third practice of that three-day mandatory minicamp or the first or second week of training camp, and, and you just saw the ball seem to come out quicker out of his hands. He seemed to be more accurate than Bradford. Uh, the offense seemed to move at a more efficient tempo than it did with Bradford. And remind, of course, remind yeah, me, was that Bradford's first year with the Eagles, or had he played a year with the Eagles before? He had, he had played a year with Chip Kelly in that offense, and they brought him back. It would it would have been Doug Peterson's uh, first season, and both Wentz and Bradford. Bradford's first season in a new system. And you'll remember the Eagles traded Sam Bradford nine days before the season opener and started Carson Wentz week one. So again, I don't expect anything crazy cockamamie like the Giants trading Eli Manning before the season starts and starting Daniel Jones. But I do remember fairly early on in the process that Wentz seemed to be ahead of Sam Bradford. I, I don't get that quite yet. With Jones, I think they're about even keel on an, on an even par level in terms of a grasp of the offense. And, Ryan, I don't even know that this job is necessarily up for grabs, but if we uh, march I down this path further, you do think it is? I definitely don't think it is. Yeah. I, I don't yeah. No, and I think that Manning is far more established than Bradford was, and that's what is going to, uh, you know, potentially be the tiebreaker that keeps him on the field and Jones on the bench. Did you agree with what I wrote last week? Because I don't think it was a hit with uh, Giants fans the way I thought it would be. I thought every hardworking person in America would agree with this, and it doesn't seem like they did. And I guess it's maybe because Eli Manning has so much money in the bank and most people do not. But did you <laughs> did you like? Don't you see this as kind of like if the if the giant if NJ.com and NJ Advanced Media hired a 22-year-old hotshot sports writer who just won some college journalism prize and put him on the Giants beat with the two of us, wouldn't you be like, oh, God, are they trying to push me out of here? Like, wouldn't you look at that as, like, your worst nightmare? Hey, Matt, can you tutor this kid? Wouldn't you look at it as, like, are are they asking me to tutor the guy that's going to eventually take my job? That's kind of how I would look at it. That's what I wrote Eli Manning is dealing with right now. It's like, hey, can you help – uh, can you help this kid take your job right now? I thought everybody would that would resonate with everybody, and it didn't. What did you think yeah. of that? Yeah, I don't. I don't know how else you can look at it, especially when they take the kid number six. This is like, look, this isn't Geno Smith. This isn't Kyle Loletta. This isn't Davis Webb. This isn't who was the kid out of Syracuse? Uh, Nassib or Ryan Nassib. Ryan Nassib? I got him confused with Carl Nassib, the defensive end. But Ryan Nassib. This isn't any of those quarterbacks. Daniel Jones is here under the belief that he's the next franchise quarterback and Eli Manning's successor. So I, I think you hit all the right notes with that story. And and if I'm Eli Manning, I, I don't know that I'm operating much differently than Brett Favre with Aaron Rodgers or Joe Flacco uh, with, 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 with Drew Locke in this case, not wanting to be a mentor. Um, I, I, if you're a veteran quarterback, Ben Roethlisberger said the same thing about Mason Rudolph. Again, different scenario. Yeah. Those guys were drafted later on. But I think that Manning's role right now, sure, go out and get off to a hot start and go three and one and see what happens. But long term, this is about 
you putting forth your best foot every day so Daniel Jones can copy your preparation and be ready to step on the field when he's capable of playing. The clock is ticking on Eli Manning. Yeah. Do you think a three and one start is possible? I don't, only because I think that they're going to lose week one in Dallas. I think Dallas uh, has a chance to win the NFC East and maybe more this year. And I look at Tampa Bay as a team that there's a lot of talent and it's on the road early in the season. Uh, I, I think that one and two is much more likely than two and one or three and one. Yeah, that's probably true. So let's uh, let's talk some other positions because uh, I'm going to quote Pat Shermer here, or Dave Gettleman here. Football is a team game. It's an 11 on 11 last time I checked. So uh, even though quarterbacks are the most important part, who's give me two, three names, either side of the ball, who've stood out to you so far in the two OTAs we've seen, plus, you know, the videos we've seen or the people, sure. we've, ta- the people we've talked to who are at the practices we're not allowed to be at. Uh, who's Who's popped out? Uh, Jabril Peppers, number one. I think he's been an absolute rock star back there. And I have, and you know this based on our conversations, based on what I've written, I don't think there's going to be a significant drop-off between Landon Collins and Jabril Peppers. And especially in coverage, I think Peppers has the chance to be as good or better than Collins. He's made plays all over the field in coverage. He had that nice interception uh, last week off Eli Manning. Peppers has really jumped out to me on the defensive side. And if you want to look at an offensive player, um, I haven't necessarily seen it, but everybody we talk to seems to be singing Golden Tate's praises in terms of what he's able to do with the football in his hands and what he does after the catch. So if there's two guys that have stood out to me, Ryan, it's two newcomers. It's Peppers on defense and Tate on offense. I'll give you my two. I would say it's Sam Beal because you mentioned that Peppers interception. Well, Sam Beal's the one who made the crazy athletic tip of that pass. And then he had another, I thought, it was one-on-one yesterday, not 11-on-11, but another really impressive pass breakup where he, uh, you know, uh, jumped, got the ball at its highest point. I, I've been really impressed with Sam Beal, and the Giants really have a lot riding on Sam Beal. They could look really foolish if Sam Beal's a bust, uh, and they could look really smart if Sam Beal is a um, if Sam Beal's a ge- uh, hidden uh, hidden gem kind of guy. They ha- they say they had him as a second round kind of corner in this draft. We saw corners kind of slipped into the a pack in the second round in this draft. So who knows if Beal would have been in that pack or would have been. And later. they came away with DeAndre Baker. So you could have had Baker and Beal, two potential late first or early second round type of cornerbacks. And we saw a little bit of a preview of that, Ryan, uh, yes. this past Tuesday with Janoris Jenkins not in attendance for this voluntary practice. You saw Baker on one side, Beal on the other with Grant Haley in the slot. There's a good chance that that's your starting cornerback core in 2020, depending on what Julian Love does. Maybe he winds up at safety. Uh, Maybe he pushes Haley for the nickel. But I thought that group acquitted itself nicely. And and I agree. I think Beal has been a little bit of a standout here early on in the spring. Yeah, I've been very impressed by Beal. And then uh, I'll give you another guy who uh, I think, well, you know what? I'll give you another guy on defense and then I'll give you a guy on offense. Uh, I've I've noticed Tay Davis a lot. I don't know if that means he's going to start. I, they Giants play a lot of nickel, and he replaces B.J. Goodson as the linebacker in nickel package because he can cover. Uh, I've been impressed by. I just notice him a lot. You, you know, like I said, you're not sure. tackle, you're not tackling, so it's hard for a linebacker to really stand out. He's not missing tackles or making tackles. I just notice him around the field a lot, and I think that's probably as good as you could say for a shorts workout. I just he's around the ball a lot 
yeah, and then uh, he does something not a lot of Giants linebackers do, which is cover. Uh, yeah, and he's been out of nickel a lot too. Yeah, and then on the offensive side of the ball, the guy I'll notice, and again, it's hard to dissect running backs in this. It's easier to pick a tight end or a receiver or a quarterback because most of the plays are, you know, pass plays. So it's hard to pick a running back because it's like, how does – um how do you know if that's a broken tackle or a or if he stopped for a two yard loss? How do you know? Because he's not getting tackled. So it's very hard. You know, somebody touches you, a defensive lineman thinks the play is over and you keep running. And we don't really know, like, is that play live or not? Uh, but to that end, Paul Perkins is a guy I think most people don't even realize is still on the Giants. He was getting first team reps yesterday. Uh, the Giants kind of took it easy with Saquon Barkley yesterday once the rain picked up. No re- reason to uh, have your star get injured on a no-contact practice on the rain. We saw what happened with the Redskins already. Obviously, a terrible season-altering uh, loss for them with their linebacker. Uh, don't need no sense, yep, no sense in putting uh, Saquon Barkley in harm's way. So they gave some uh, first-team running back reps to the other guys, and it wasn't Wayne Gallman. It wasn't Rod Smith. The first one up, I thought, was Paul Perkins, which is interesting because we're talking about a guy who was the starter in 2017 and pretty much has done nothing since that week two or week three of that season uh missed all last season this coaching staff doesn't even really know him as a as a player so that's probably why he was first up so they could get a closer evaluation of him but he's a guy who i don't know maybe he's the backup running we're so gallman rod smith we're so worried about those guys hill him in uh, whatever. Maybe the answer is Paul Perkins is the backup for Saquon Barkley. Yeah, it could very well be. And I think it's been interesting how they, they haven't really put Barkley out there as often in these two OTA practices. And I think that that might be the trend in terms of running backs, especially who are the focal points of offenses. You don't necessarily want these guys out there with the wear and tear in practice every single day. And uh, I, I thought what Saquon said the other day about, uh, you know, how could he get 400 touches? Could he get 450 touches? As long as he takes care of his body, his body will take care of him. And I thought it was interesting how he said that not only training inside the building, but with his own team uh, and and training in L.A., which he's going to do again as this summer progresses before training camp. So I I look at this right now and I see a guy who is preparing to be not only the focal point of the offense, but somebody who could eclipse 400 touches or at least approach what Ezekiel Elliott did a year ago with a league leading 382. You know who the last running back to have 400 touches in the NFL is? I believe you know. Le'Veon Bell, uh, who now shares an address with, uh, with uh, what I think it's one MetLife Stadium way. Or yep, something. that's the one. With, with uh, Saquon Barkley. Who's the better running back, Matt, right now? Who's the better running back? I think that Bell has to prove himself coming off that one-year absence. And I think that with the upward trajectory of Saquon Barkley's career, I would take Saquon over Bell at this point. Less mileage on the tires. I think what that he's as for one year. Would you just this season? I'd still take Saquon after what he did a year ago. Yep, yep. Okay. Yeah, I, I, probably, I tend to agree. Yeah, I tend to agree. But I think that Saquon is very much in the Bell mold. I mean, Bell is a – is a dual threat running back, a pass catcher, uh, a workhorse, a, you know, a touchdown machine, the guy who doesn't come off the field on third down. Uh, I think there, I think Barkley is very much in the bell mold. 
I agree. I think if you could take a hybrid of the skill sets of Todd Gurley and Le'Veon Bell, I think that Barkley approaches what Gurley's able to do as a runner and comes close to, if not exceeds, what Bell's able to do as a receiver. And you saw that last year with the 71 catches or whatever it was, 100-plus targets. I think that, and we talked about this early last season, I'm going to be really interested, Ryan, to see, especially in September and October this year, think back to a year ago, how many of those Barkley targets were last resort dump-off options at or behind the line of scrimmage when Eli Manning was facing pressure. All year I was screaming about, well, put Barkley in the slot. Put him in motion. Design design the, you know pass routes for Saquon Barkley we saw a little bit more of that in the second half and I think that if this Giants offense is going to be able to matriculate, matriculate the ball down the field as efficiently as they seem to be trying to with these short and intermediate passes they have to design a, a package of passing plays around Barkley and not just use him as a dump off option for Eli Manning yeah very I agree I, I agree. I think uh, maybe per- maybe that's where Perkins helps. Maybe you go two running back sets. I've always wanted yeah. to see that. I, I screamed about that at Rutgers when, I don't know if you heard, but Rutgers had some really good running backs where like maybe even Saquon couldn't have played at Couldn't Rutgers. Couldn't have got on the field, I guess, yeah. right? Was that, was that the word back in the day? That was the word, yes. Yeah. So that's uh, that's what I wanted to see then, and that's kind of what I want to see now. Is uh, If running backs, if you have a stable of running backs, find a way to use them. I, I don't know. That, that, that's me. Um and that's where if you use Perkins, let's say, in a single back set and you put Barkley in the slot, if both are able to catch the football, that's just another element of unpredictability that defenses have to account for. Yeah. Uh, let's talk about something else. Let's talk about Landon Collins. Uh, you mentioned him in your Jabril Peppers um, in your Jabril Peppers hype. Let me ask you about Landon Collins because he's done – He's he's been on the tongue of Giants fans all for the last two weeks, probably since our last podcast. He's been the one making the most noise and he's not even on the team. What do you make of his comments? It started with me, I think, and then he's kind of gone around the NFL. Uh, Some of the things he said, you know, that uh, he called Gettleman a liar. He said that he wasn't surprised Beckham was traded because he always made too much noise for the Giants. The Giants don't like players who have platforms and use them. Um, what else did he say? He he was heartbroken. The Giants didn't offer him a contract. I mean, Landon's been pretty outspoken here on a lot of different topics. And that's the Landon that the, we love. I mean, it, you could always go to Landon's locker and get an honest answer. And I think it's pissed off Giants fans. Like, why are you still talking about us? But, I mean, I, look, you, you should want honesty from your players. You don't want to be lied. You don't want to hear... Uh, or your coaches or your GMs. You don't want, why do you want to be lied to? That doesn't make any sense. Then you're caught off guard. We didn't sign him to trade him. And then you trade him. Then you're pissed off. So Landon Collins gives you the truth. What do you make of all the different things he said on in this last month? Yeah, Ryan, I think there's a lot of layers there. Um, I think, number one, it's scorned lover syndrome, right? And we reported following the NFL Combine that the Giants hadn't even spoken to Collins or his agent uh, about a long-term contract. And all of the tea leaves back in February seemed to indicate that the Giants were going to let him walk without a deal and without even an offer, and certainly without using the franchise tag on him. And I can see how a guy who uh, was arguably the face of your franchise franchise, at least from a defensive standpoint, active in the community, did and said many of the right things, and by the way, made three Pro Bowls in his first four years and was a first-team All-Pro during that span. 
I can see how that would piss you off. I can see how that would, you know, disappoint you and you would be upset. And of course, as a professional athlete, you're going to direct that ire at Dave Gettleman, at, G- at the GM, especially when he has a track record in Carolina of letting star, star players walk out the door at certain positions, i.e. cornerback, i.e. his new teammate, Josh Norman. Uh, but the other layer is, Ryan, I don't know that he's wrong. Right. When you talk about the Giants not wanting players who have big personalities, not wanting players who use their platform, not wanting players who are outspoken or critical of the organization. Look, Damon Harrison, a very vocal, outgoing, outspoken guy, uh, traded for a fifth round pick. Eli Apple given away for a bag of donuts during what was arguably his best season as a pro. Landon Collins allowed to walk out the door. Odell Beckham Jr., supersized ego, supersized personality traded away this year less than 12 months after giving him a long-term five-year $95 million contract. I don't know that Landon Collins is wrong with any of his criticisms, but I think they come from a place of of, of, of uh, a broken heart and a lot of anger directed towards the organization that he thought treated him unfairly on his way out the door. He Look, Gettleman didn't lie about this. That's the thing that I think is funny. Like Gettleman honestly said, I believe, I'll, I'll use the term a-hole, uh, did Gettleman said he, there's an a-hole quotient. Remember, he said that to us at the combine. He did at right? the combine. Yep. That yeah, that's something you have to cons- you have to consider in your locker room. And I don't equate all outspoken players to a-holes because you covered one of the most outspoken players in the NFL, who I think is any- who I knew as a teenager and is anything but an a-hole, and Malcolm Jenkins. Yep. yep. Uh, so. I don't think that there's a correlation there. And I think Landon Collins is under that Malcolm Jenkins. Landon Collins is not an a-hole. Landon Collins is a good dude who who is a good teammate and a good football player and was involved in the community and loved the Giants. It, I can't put Landon Collins in the category, in the me first category that I put Odell Beckham in. No, and you could put it, you could say Olivier Vernon is in that list of quote unquote a hole quotient type of players. Uh, but the bottom line is they also weren't winning. And I think that if the that's Giants good. had had made a couple of playoff appearances over the last couple that's of years, won a playoff a game, yeah. yeah. No, I think you're right. Keep going. Yeah, and and I think that when you look at, I think that you can tolerate some of those things, and maybe maybe some of the the negativity from those guys who are outspoken and have big personalities doesn't fester if you're winning. Winning cures a lot of those things, and they weren't winning. Landon Collins was viewed as a, as a leader in a locker room that seemed to have a losing culture over the last couple of years. It doesn't make Dave Gettleman right. It it just means that I think that the losing precipitated a lot of these moves. It's the other side of the coin, and it's something to consider. I think you're. I think you're very right. I w- I've been on the record a million times that I would have kept Landon Collins, but. Um, I and look, that- I think we both love Landon, right? We both love him as a leader. He's well respected in that room. He does a lot of things really well on the field. I think he might be better suited a- as a linebacker than as a safety. And I think that the way that James Betcher uses his safeties. I don't know that he was an ideal fit because of his deficiencies in coverage, where I think Peppers is going to be, at least in that aspect of his game, maybe a modest upgrade. Yeah, we'll see. Uh, he's got Landon Collins was around the ball a lot, forced a lot of turnovers, didn't miss a lot of tackles. That's a that's a high bar, in my opinion, for Jabril Peppers to reach. But you know, the Giants are obviously high on him. Um what else? Uh, what concerns you? Because I'll give you one thing that concerns me at OTAs. And 
again, I I spent a couple minutes on this podcast complaining about how, or detailing, I guess, about how these are non-contact practices. So it's very hard to evaluate linemen. But I'm going to give you an opinion I have. I don't like, and there's nothing you can do about it. Neither guy's dogging it. But I'm concerned that Remmers and Solder are not out there. And I know Remmers is on the field. He's just not in, you know, in 11 on 11 drills. But it concerns me for the Giants that their two starting offensive tackles are not taking part right now. And you can say they'll both be back by July. And if they both are in the first training camp practice, then I will shut my mouth and say it really doesn't matter. I'll I'll do a 180. But if anything lingers, if they miss even a week of the start of training camp, I'll be more concerned. I can't listen to offensive linemen tell me for 15 years of my career that the number one thing that matters for offensive linemen is chemistry and one-mindedness and knowing, you know, knowing what the guy beside you is going to do even before he does it. That's what they all tell you. They never talk about their hands or their feet or their leverage, or they all tell you it's 90% mental. I can't listen to that and then not be concerned that there is, the two most important guys or two of the three most important guys maybe are not out there right now taking part in that. You can go on team bowling excursions and team meals and whatnot, but right now Will Hernandez isn't with Nate Solder. And more importantly, on the right side, Kevin Zeitler isn't with Mike Remmers and they need to learn how each other plays. If they're back together, practice one of training camp, all's good. No worries. If they're not, then I'm going to go back to this and, remind me this isn't just a week now or three days of training camp that they haven't been together they missed the whole spring too right that worries yeah, me. and and i think that there's some validity to that but the other thing is these guys aren't out taking a vacation in prague right these guys aren't you know blowing off practices to go and see their families graduate from high school or college you look at remmers coming back from a back injury you look at Solder, you know, just had that that uh, procedure done on his ankle to clean out some bone spurs or whatever was going on there. We can say that, you know, that surgery could have been done in February, yeah, but let who me, knows when on, those things me, were diagnosed, right? Let me just be clear. I'm not criticizing Remmers or Solder. I'm not, I'm not saying they're dogging it or they should be out there or whatever. I'm just saying the fact that they're not worries me. I just want to be clear about that. I'm not yeah. ripping Solder or Remmers for not being out there. You, look, injuries happen. We all know that. It's just... Because they happened, I'm a little worried about it. Yeah, and I'll go bigger picture here and revert back to where we started the podcast, Ryan. I'm concerned with how this offense has looked through these practices. And again, it's only May, and and it's only two practices, and they're not even in full pads. But I've seen this this movie before. I've I've watched and I've covered Chip Kelly's offense where – they operated when they got rid of Deshaun Jackson and brought in Jordan Matthews. They operated by trying to move the ball five to eight yards per play yeah. downfield, where you go first and 10, second and short, first down, and it doesn't work. You need to have that wide receiver who has the ability to take the cover off a of defense, and the Giants haven't even tried to push it deep. And again, that could be them just hiding that part of their playbook from the media and working on that on days we're not there. And we'll see a better glimpse of this offense in August during training camp in the preseason. But it, it just looks like those early Chip Kelly offenses and the early season offense of a year ago, but without that Odell Beckham presence to push it deep and, and without even trying, 
looking to get it deep to Evan Ingram or even Sterling Shepard early in the spring. And I think that's a problem if you're trying to put together your entire playbook and trying to be an offense that can function more so than just first and 10, second and short, first and 10. Who's the Giants' third best receiver? Not tight end, not running back, because the answers are Ingram and Barkley. Right. Who, who's the third best guy li- who's technically a wide receiver? I mean, you can go down the list. Is it Corey Coleman? Is it Cody Latimer? Is it, you know, Alonzo Russell? Is it Russell Shepard? All those guys that I named, Brian, they could be anywhere from the third wide receiver on the right. depth chart to being cut before yeah. week one, right? I mean, you didn't that, even that's mention where the we guy. Are. You didn't even mention the guy who was third on wide receiver catches last year, which I think shows you how wide open that is, Benny Fowler. So I yeah. think uh, I think that you know the Giants. It's just an area where the Giants really can't afford an injury. Ingram was bang, banged up last year. Uh, Shepard was banged up two years ago. The Giants can't really afford an. In- the, the, I think the offense has a chance to be good if we were playing Madden and turning injuries off. I just don't know that. I like. I just don't know the offense has depth behind their stars, whereas the defense I don't think is as good as the offense, but I don't think there's a drop-off between the starters and the backups. Does that there's make sense? Certain, there's certainly said? less star power, I think, on the defense than there is on the offense, but I think that you could sustain an injury to uh, a B.J. Hill and plug yes. R.J. McIntosh in there. You could see yeah. – uh, you know, Sam Beal go down and you play DeAndre Baker. You could Correct. see uh, Antoine Bethay either get benched because of performance or get hurt and you move Julian Love back there or you put yeah. Sean Chandler out there if he's on the roster. I, I don't know. I think you're you're much more paper thin from a proven commodity standpoint on your depth chart on offense. I think it's a great, uh, you know, observation by you. Yeah, and I'll wrap it up with this. I think the defense, I was very concerned about the defense. Uh, before the draft, even after the draft, uh, I didn't like that they didn't add. And all, all due respect to Marcus Golden, who maybe returns to his 2016 form. And if he does, that's a home run signed by Gettleman. I didn't like that they didn't add a big time creator. We, how much time did you and I spend talking about the linebackers available or the Darius Smith or, um, some of those guys, uh, who signed with the Redskins or the Packers, or uh, I didn't like that they didn't add a big-time uh, defensive player in free agency. But through two practices, like I like I wrote once already, good defense or bad offense, we'll find out. But so far, I like the way the defense is playing. It, it seems like what yeah. I expected a James Betcher defense to be, flying all over the field. I agree, and if that's the case, I think that's a really good sign for the Giants if the defense is really this good and it's not just because of them going up against an offense that's struggling to find its footing. But if their if their play in spring translates to how they look in September, then I think that that's the type of a team that can stay in football games while the offense tries to find its way. Yeah, it'd be interesting. Uh, we we got seven, nine more. We got we got. They have six more OTAs and three mini camps. So yeah. we'll we and we have four more opportunities to watch them. So we'll check in with you again before our training camp. We will. And one quick question off of Twitter from Jeff Schubert at JM Schubert on Twitter says, "What are the top two or three position battles to watch the rest of the off season?" Uh, Ryan, I'll, I'll give you mine real quickly. I think center is very much open uh, for business. John Halapio uh, has to prove that he can stay healthy. We saw him uh, splitting the first team reps, the first practice, Spencer. 
Pulley was out there with the first team in the second practice we saw. I think the second cornerback spot outside of Janoris Jenkins is a spot to watch behind between Sam Beal and DeAndre Baker. And if I'm looking for a third position battle, I'll say this. I don't know that Chad Wheeler is out of the conversation at right tackle. Those are my breaks. Yeah, I, I like that. That's interesting. Uh, nickel corner, if you count that as a starter, you probably should because they play like 60% of the reps, I think is yep. interesting. Whoever loses that Beal-Baker competition doesn't necessarily become the nickel corner because Grant Haley and Julian Love are probably more experienced in the slot. So uh, I think that's an interesting battle between Love and Haley to see who is that slot cornerback. Um Second linebacker, second inside linebacker, I mentioned Tay Davis and B.J. Goodson. Don't sleep on rookie Ryan Connolly. He does a lot of things the Giants like. He's a very instinctive, smart player. You can't have enough of those guys. Uh, So I think who starts next to Alex Ogletree in the base defense as the other inside linebacker? It's probably a Goodson-Davis split right now, but I wouldn't be surprised to see Connolly take some of those. Uh, And then the ones you named. Center is obviously the... uh, the number one, and then maybe number three receiver. We mentioned all the guys who yeah. are there, but it really doesn't matter because number three receiver in the Giants offense is really number five receiver because it goes, you know, Shepard, Tate, or Tate Shepard, then Barkley, Ingram, that kind of thing. So uh, yeah. those are the ones. Really, most of the starting lineup is set other than center and then the fringe positions like third receiver, third corner. Yep, and we'll be back next week recapping the mandatory minicamp. We get three straight days of practice, so a little bit of a training camp preview, and we'll see if the offense evolves from here. We'll see if either one of the quarterbacks separates themselves from here, and we'll see if the defense continues to ride the wave uh, of these strong early OTA practices. Uh, Ryan, look forward to next week. We can follow you on Twitter at RYDunleavy. I'm at Matt Lombardo NFL, and the show is at TalkIsCheapNYG. TalkIsCheap and Apple Podcasts, iTunes, SoundCloud, Spreaker, Stitcher, and iHeartRadio. We'd love if you'd subscribe there and leave us a five-star review. Ryan, I will talk to you next week. 